Praise God. Good morning, all. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7, I'm going to continue what we started last week on looking at asking God to teach us how to pray. So many things in, to do with Christianity are subtle things, things that you think you know. <laughs> so many of the things in the Christian life are subtle. You can spend your whole Christian life thinking that you realize something and then all of a sudden one day the lights come on. You know, you open up a scripture, you read a a passage you've read a thousand times, but this time you understand it. And in terms of prayer, the, 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 the prayer road, the prayer journey is an endless journey. We spent some time this week just getting ready for next year, praying for next year. And I have to say, folks, this is my 10th uh, Christmas with New Mercy here in Glasgow. And I think this is the most spiritual Christmas I've seen. And what I mean by that is I see things you don't see. If you come up here, it's a very different world from sitting down there. Okay? And Christmas is traditionally, actually, a very dull time in churches. Do you know that statistically, there's Easter, there's Pentecost, there's Christmas. Which of the festivals or whatever, which one do you think the least amount of people get saved at? Christmas, that's right. Very little happens around Christmas times in, 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 in terms of salvation. And my experience over the last you know, years here has been it's, in, it's been incredibly difficult to get the attention of the congregation around Christmas time. And it really annoyed me. However, this year, I've noticed a a considerable difference. And I think I know why. (laughs) Do you know why? Because I think we made a bit of room in our homes by clearing out some of the pagan stuff. You made a bit of room in your heart. Amen? And I believe God has filled that room. And, and, you know, taking that space, he will. You take one step towards God, he'll run towards you. And I'm very, very pleased about that. By the way, let me say today's part two of Lord teaches how to pray. As well as getting the junk or the pagan stuff out of our homes, don't just leave a, a vacant space. But fill it. Fill it with worship. Fill it with prayer. Right? Lord, teach us how to pray. Fill your home. Don't just clear out, but fill up. 1 Peter, we're we're thinking about blockages to prayer and how Jesus wants to teach us this particular Christmas time for sure, how to pray, how to enter in. Look at this. Very interesting. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives. And all the wives said? Amen. Amen. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treating them with respect as the weaker partner. And all the men said, Amen. Amen. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. What's the next part? What's the next line? So that your prayers will not be hindered. And if you read on, actually, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil, or he's still on the topic of prayer. 
We're still talking about what blocks prayer. Do not pay, uh, repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit the... For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil speech, running each other down, no good, and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers to their prayers but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil I want to continue as I say what we started last week but we saw how protocol entering into the courts of God he's the king of kings has certain step-by-step procedure as Jesus spent out, uh, spelt out in the, Our, in the Our Father. But not just that. It's not the only blockage. And here we see Peter say there's another blockage. And it's relationships. A husband's relationship with his wife. But as you read on there, it's not just husbands and wives, is it? He starts with husbands and wives. And then he opens it up. And he says, if our relationships, by the way are not good with, with people, with your colleagues, with your family, with your neighbors, with your friends. If our relationships are not good, that hinders what? That hinders your prayers. Your prayers don't flow, right? And I have found that to be in, in, incredibly true, you know. Um, we were counting. I think I've been involved in, le- in the leadership intimately of about 25-odd churches over the years. And I tell you this, folks. In the prayer meetings of a church, the people who pray the most are the, pre- are the people who get on with people well. The people who don't have relation, The people without chips on their shoulder, who are easygoing, and who get on with people. Do you know what? They get on with God. They pray happily and merrily. But the people who are tongue-tied and tight-lipped, they don't know why. They don't know why. And they stand for decades in silence, not knowing what's hindering my prayer. And Peter says here, your relationships, if, if the husband is not leading the wife, that's his context to begin this, then that will hinder the prayer. But he also says, oh, by the way, your, your prayer machine, you know, your prayer spirit won't flow either. If you have relationship difficulties, that you just leave them go. You just let them go. You're going to find that you don't enter in. Look, if, there's, if you go to a cell group and there's 10 people in the cell group, and nine of them pray and you don't, who's going to feel like the odd man out? You are. Because you're not in the same spirit. You're not in the same spirit. It always makes you feel odd as if you don't fit in. Right? So prayer is, it's the cement, it's the gel that holds us together, keeps us together. And I tell you, so many people come and say, I just feel like I don't fit in. What should be your question to such a person? How's the prayer life? How's the prayer life? How's your relationship? Because you know what? Everybody else is all right. Everybody else is all right. It's not a problem with the people around you, not a problem with the church. It's a problem with your own level of spirituality, living in a secular world, that we visit the prayer meeting, so to speak. 
I want to recap something that we did a little while ago to understand the nature of prayer. Could I have God? See, he knows who he is. (laughs) This is God, right? You met him last week. (laughs) He hasn't changed. That was a joke. Okay. And here's me. I'm you. And you remember, I've got needs, you've got needs. And this is the primary... By the way, God hasn't got a box milk tray. This represents... Let me just explain. Can we take the lid off that? See? Say thank you to Enkem, but they're all gone now. <laughs> In God's hands, what is it? Healing, righteousness, prosperity, deliverance, everything that you need and I need for the, all of my life, it's all the way over there in God. And what Christians tend to do, and this is the mistake, we try to get what's over there to come over here. Now, let me take uh, finance, prosperity as an example. So, I need finance. Oh, God, 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 help me with finances. Ten years! You can pray the same prayer for ten years. And eventually, what God might do is he might give you one pound fifty. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Here you are. Ten years hard labor, I got one pound fifty. You need to be pretty bonkers to keep on with that strategy. <laughs> Amen? Another ten years. Okay, here's another one pound five. We're doing well. I'll be 192 before I have a tenner. You, you, you get the idea. God's trying to teach you something. It doesn't work like that. I'm too far away. And I gotta... I start moving towards God. And God starts moving towards me. And as long as we're together, everything, this is the promise of Scripture, all the blessings that are promised in the Bible are true. The problem is my distance. That's the problem. And then when I go out in life, God accompanies me, and I have a constant source. This is the promise of the Bible. I have a constant source always with me. But the, the, the condition is, you must re- if you abide in me, and I abide in you, you can ask for whatever from the box you need, and it will be given to you. Thank you. Thank you. But the, the problem we have is the distance that we create, and then we, you, you can burn yourself out praying and praying and praying and not knowing what's wrong. Well, just to begin with today, relationships. If you're not good with relationships, if you're not good at getting on with people, guess what? Your prayers will be hindered. That's what we just read. Not just husbands and wives, but generally. Your prayers will be hindered, and it's a price that's not worth paying. That makes you feel like you're odd. It makes you feel like you don't fit in. But it's not that. It's simply that you're not in the same spirit as those around you. And how do we solve that? By dedicating and focusing into moving from here all the way over to being in the same presence, the same spirit as our brothers and sisters around us. Let me read another scripture. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And I'll I'll read from verse 1. Luke chapter 18 verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Anybody feel like giving up? He told them this so that they would not give up. 
He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps on bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let's keep reading. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on others, he told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, I, I have a kind of a pattern. We, I, on Sunday night, when we go home, generally, I will go out for a while. I'll walk around, and I spend Sunday evenings on my own. We have been in church all day, and I trust God to bless us and to bring the word forward and to bless the church. And that's my downtime. That's my alone time where I leave Jeanette and I'll go out and I'll just have a one-to-one and I think back over the day and I thank God for all that he has done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for today. Thank you for what happened. And that's, I love that time. I, enjoy, I look forward to that time. Then I would get up typically on Monday and I would prepare and start to get a word and to see God's word for the following week so that I have plenty of time for preparation. Didn't have to do it this week. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Doesn't happen often, that I tell you. Didn't have to do it this week. Woke up with a word burning in my heart. Didn't have to seek God. It was already there. And it was this one. Tell them about pride. Tell them about how their pride can separate them from me. Tell them that they need to be humble for their prayers to be answered. And I just sought a scripture to match that and found this very, very fitting scripture, if you like, of the, 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 the tax collector and the Pharisee. So, however, G G Jesus has two, script uh, two stories here, one about the judge and the other one about the Pharisee. I want to look at both because there are two different facets of what may block our prayers or block our approach to God. In the beginning of that chapter, he talks about God, doesn't he? The unjust judge and about how people give up in praying. And then in the second half, that's a blockage towards God. In the second half, it was a personal blockage. So we'll deal with them one at a time. They're actually on, on your notes there. Number one, a blockage by not understanding the nature of God. Some time ago, I gave you this 
little small circle. Some of you will remember it. But for me, it's a very helpful tool for understanding the nature of God. Because if you don't understand the nature of God, guess what you'll do with your prayer life? Give up. You'll back off. Some of these people were giving up. And Jesus taught them this parable so that they would not give up. I think some people think that God runs out of patience with them. Ever felt that? Amen. I think we all feel that. That God's got no grace left anymore. And that's just not true. Many times over the years, when I'm being patient with a member who's being bad or whatever, many times another member will come, come to me and say, How much patience have you got for this person? How long are you going to go on with them? That's a very good question, because that's the way the person will perceive themselves. You know, they'll think they need judgment, if you like. Um, But see that chart? I find it very, very helpful for understanding God. The place where God wants you to be in your Christian life is the top segment. Walking in the grace of God. Amen. Balanced, healthy, happy, wholesome. And he will supply your needs. He wants you there. But things go wrong. And when things go wrong and we fall from grace, we exit from grace, where do we end up? Faithfulness. God will remain true to you. God will remain faithful. Okay? But we've exited from his central path. We've gone off, you know, the narrow path as it were. Now, if you continue in that road, where are you going to end up? Judgment. Now, my point is, though, and then you repent and people come back to the grace of God. My point is, folks, just look up. God never ran out of grace. God never ran out of grace. God never runs out of patience. God's patience is eternal, right? But what God does do is he changes the attribute. He changes what he does dependent on you. So God is a holy God and he will give you all the grace that you need. He will be faithful to you. But if you continue in rebellion, what will he do? Bring judgment. Because he's a holy God. Not because he ran out of patience. Not because he ran out of grace. He's eternally gracious. He's eternally patient. I hope you're getting it. Because people stop praying. Because they think God's finished with them, fed up with them, done with them. And nothing could be further from the truth. I believe that my God is eternally gracious and patient to me. He has that. However, I need to stay there. Or he may have to change his attribute. He may have to bring some swift judgment to me to bring me back on track so I repent and get back in the grace of God. You understand? I want you to see what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus said this. There's some people in the crowd have given up. There's some people here who've stopped praying. I know what I'll do. I'll tell them a story about a, a, a wicked judge and show that he had grace. And then I'll tell them, how much more do you think your heavenly father has grace for you? If you experience God pulling himself back from your life, a spiritual desert or whatever you want to call it, That's a type of judgment. That can be a type of judgment where God leaves you for a moment to experience yourself so that you repent and come back. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he's finished with you. You're going through a season, and we must all go through seasons. Could I have my slides up there, please? 
Some years ago, I showed you this slide. I'll read it to you because the print's not very big, but I love it as a way for you to see what God looks like. Okay, we don't know what God looks like, but I think it's an excellent comic. When the world started, man and God were really good friends, and nothing got in the way of their relationship. Now look at the man. Is he happy? Hey, look at God. Is God happy? Next slide. Uh-oh. But one day, man decided that he couldn't care less. And without thinking, he threw something in the tube. Now look at the man. Is the man happy? Huh. Look at God. Is God happy? Next slide. And before long, the friendship was broken because the tube was cluttered with rubbish. They were no longer on speaking terms. And it broke God's heart. And you know, the man feels like giving up. Feels like God's so far away. But God's not angry. God's sad. Very sad. Thinking, what can I do to get this man back? And this man can feel judged, can feel separated, isolated. But God's not so much angry as sad. God came to earth, began to collect up all the rubbish from the tube and put it in the sack, and before long it was absolutely cleaned. Now look at man. Happy? No. And neither are people when you tell them the truth. Neither are people when you tell them about their lives. What are you telling? What are you saying that to me for? You know, people don't like it, but you need to get the junk out of homes, out of lives, out of marriages. It's not a pleasant thing, but it has to be done. Amen. Amen. And get angry with that, not knowing that it leads to communion with God. Next. So man was so angry that he murdered him. Next one, please. And this is my favorite. Because for me, it sums up, is man happy? No. Is God happy? Well, God has made a way. He's opened up the tube. He's opened up the channel, if you like. And, he's made, and look at his face. He's smiling, by the way. Not, it's not a very big slide. He's smiling, and he's welcoming man back into a relationship. And that's the way I see God. I don't know about you, but I challenge you, if you see him any other way, that, that you might stop going to him. I believe that God is good. I believe that God loves me, that he welcomes me into his presence, that he's waiting for me. And if I think like that, I will not stop praying. I will go to him and pray. Hallelujah. So the first thing that Jesus saw when he wanted to teach them how to pray was that their, their concept of God could be as a wicked judge or whatever. And he wanted to get that out of their head. And he said, no, I'm not like that. I want you to have faith in me to believe that I'm a good God. Secondly, the second part of that, Luke chapter 18 was the, the, the sinner and the Pharisee, the tax collector and the Pharisee. Love that parable, and I'm sure you've all heard it since you were kids. And Jesus here is really pointing out a very different problem, and that is that two people approaching God in very different ways. Remember last week we did this? Remember? The first obligation of the protocol was worship and thanksgiving giving thanks unto God. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Enter his courts with praise. Doing that as we enter. What was the second? Confession. What did the sinner do in the story? He confessed his 
sins. What did the Pharisee do? He didn't. He bragged. <laughs> yes, he said, he, he told God how good he was. You see, same protocol. Same protocol. Here's Jesus telling a story. Two men come before me. One of them understands the protocol of entering into the presence of God, and he does enter. The other one does not, and does not enter. And it's basically humility, and I believe that's the, the word in my heart for you this morning, and for me for this coming year, because I want to reshape our prayer lives for 2013. But to do that, some things are going to have to change. The sinner received justification. That's what Jesus, the way Jesus put it. One of them went home still feeling separated, and one of them went home feeling reconnected. What was the difference between them? Basically, humility. Having the humility to own up to who you are, who you really are. I haven't got a microphone here, but I could say, <clears throat> yeah, my microphone. <clears throat> Ian, who are you? Tell me, you don't have to, it's okay. <laughs> Tell me about yourself. Tell me all about yourself, right? And Ian does that. And then I could say, thank you. Brenda, who is Ian? <laughs> you might get a different story, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's very interesting because th this guy here, the, 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 the sinner was brutally honest. And what he said lined up with what God said. One of the greatest problems for me, a problem I've never solved in pastoring is this, dealing with people who are deluded. Deluded about themselves. I'm not looking at anybody. I didn't mean to look at you, Linda. <laughs> dealing with people who are deluded. Remember I told you about the leadership challenge. The, 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 the 39 questions, we give it to leaders in Dublin. I, I chose two very poor leaders. They were hopeless. And I gave them the, the challenge to do. And the maximum you could score is 100. And I said, fill that chart out and give yourself a score. Well, they gave themselves top marks, top marks. And I remember I scored myself. I can't remember, you know, 60 or something I came in at out of 100. And these guys were up in the 80s and 90s. Hello! 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 Two men went to pray. Jesus is teaching us how. Two men went to pray. One of them walked in saying, I pay all my tithes. I do everything right. I never do anything wrong. Give himself top marks. And the other one did the exact opposite. The other one knew who he was. And Jesus says, See? Will you struggle all your life in prayer? Or will you listen? Will you forever feel the odd man out? Where are you with this? Brand new year, one day away. And you can enter in. But I warn you folks, last week I said about six times, be brutal with yourself, be honest. And by the fourth time, some of you were sitting going, oh, I wish you would stop saying, I don't know if I want to be honest with my doubt. I was quite shocked at that. But some of you didn't want to be honest with yourself. I could see it. Do you have a problem with that? Shouldn't have a problem with that. Do you know what David said? David said, God, shine your light on me. Shine your light on me. That I can see myself. That I might know myself as I really am. Let me not be deceived. Because David knew 
And that, the power of deception. The power of deception in a Christian, do you know what it does? It gives them a high head and a strut. When they look down on others, just like this Pharisee, pride kept him out of the presence of God. And pride meant that his prayers, were they answered? No, they weren't even prayers. They weren't even prayers. They were self-exaltation. That's what they were. So Jesus is teaching me how to pray. That's what he's doing. And he sees in the crowd, and that's you and me, folks, he sees two different types of people. One type of people think God's angry at them, and they've given up praying. And he says to them, change the way you see me. But another type of people, and here we are, see me, I'm both of these. I'm the Pharisee, absolutely. I can have pride in me. You? Absolutely. I can have pride in me. But I am honest. I'm brutally, brutally, brutally honest. Because I know that there is an absolute key there. Like I said last week, <laughs> Abraham didn't lead the nation because he was holy. He wasn't. All right? He was an idol worshiper. There was plenty of other guys far better than Abraham. What was Abraham? He was honest. He was straight. He, was, he had faith in a good God. Right? And that's what you, you need to see God that way. A God who's on your side, a good God, a gracious God, a patient God. But none of this works if I don't see myself as I truly am, okay? I know it's not, it, it's, it's not easy. So, let's have another go. Bridget, tell me what Everson is like. Tell me all about him, okay? Now, Everson, tell me all about yourself. <laughs> you get the idea. I want to see where are we, what are we getting here? What is reality? What is reality? Two massive problems, the way we see God, right, and my relationships. Jesus not only draws our, our attention to the protocol, right, the, of entering God, but in, in 1 Peter, as we, as we read in the beginning, if my relationships are not good, my prayers will be hindered, not answered. These two things go together. In, in 1 John, it says, if I can't love the brother that I see, do I love God? You don't love God. And so in relationships, be it with family or friends, my advice to you is the advice of Jesus. Brush up on relationships. Make sure that you're at peace with your brothers so that your prayers will flow. Little line at the bottom of your sheet there, the two lists, the sinner and the Pharisee, and the two different perspectives, the two different approaches that they made to God. What did the sinner do? He approached with reverence towards God. What did the Pharisee do? He exalted himself, bragged about himself, and put his brothers down because of that. This is a prodigal son, elder brother type of simile here. What did the sinner do? Secondly, he was honest about himself. Brutally honest, and that is a very healthy thing to be. Ask God to shine his light on you. Ask God to do that. And do you know when I ask things like that, I ask for mercy. I ask for mercy and I ask for grace. I say, God, come, please, but have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Be patient with me. Right? He was deceived about himself. 
And in, in terms of the sinner, the Bible says, amazing thing, he went home justified, but the Pharisee would have gone home into further and further isolation, separation, not knowing why he felt out of it, not knowing why he felt that, I can tell you who left the church first, the Pharisee. I can tell you why most people spend five minutes in prayer a day, because of the relationships either with human beings or because of the way they see God. Now, we're growing as a church. I thank God for that. This lady here spends one hour a day in prayer, every day, every day. What about you? She has established a discipline in her home, established an altar, established a protocol, and you can do the same thing. Understood, you are talking to me about it last week, understood that once I found God, once I got God into it, that was the key. I know, I know. Because God is not in it because of what? Bad relationships with people? Because of pride, because of self-exaltation, God is not in the prayer life, so people can't pray. Are you with me? Are you with me? It's not rocket science. Very simple. So I challenge myself, how are my relationships with people? How's my relationship with my wife? Because that's where it starts. Shh, quiet. Okay, don't say anything. How's my relationship with my wife? Peter starts right there, and he says, if I don't care, care means leading her in prayer, it means building her up, Right? That's the care. I, I need to show care and respect for my wife, leading her up in the Lord, and then bring that in here and help the church grow, and you bring it to your homes. Amen? The, the conclusion there at the end of that parable is shocking to me. It says that God took the this, took this sinner and exalted him. And that's fantastic. I, I don't know if you've been around people who actually, if you've ever experienced that, where God puts his hand on someone and blesses them or raises them up. But I love it. I love to see it. One of our pastors has just been exalted by God. It's fantastic. It's a lovely thing to watch. He's a man called Jason. And if Jason was in this church, he would be standing at the very back <laughs> where he always stands. He got saved in our build building years ago in Dublin. He'd be standing because Jason is like the sinner not the Pharisee. Jason's a very humble, humble guy and would not think of himself more highly than he ought. In fact, years ago, just about five years ago, when they said he was going to the church in Belfast, I know him well. I had my reservations, you know. I thought, hi, that church in Belfast is pretty tough. Are we sure Jason can handle it? Well, I tell you what, after we've been there about five or six times in the last three years preaching for him, I never seen anybody in my life. They work that out. Six days a week he has a job in the world, but then he comes into the church, and that place, it's, in my opinion, it's our busiest European church. Of all the churches in Europe, that's the busiest. He's working with the Filipinos, the Indians, and the internationals, and you will not get a room in that building anytime. It's chock-a-block seven days a week. And I, I was ringing Roy and Ray and the other overseers. I said, I'll tell you what, I'm so impressed with Jason. Absolutely blown away. I never saw that in him. Listen, he's working, 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 serving. No attitudes, no chip on his shoulder. And then all of a sudden, 
Two weeks ago, bang, he gets a 320,000 pound building. Hallelujah. Praise God. A pastor bought a building just outside Belfast and spent 250 grand decorating it. New chairs, new cameras, new lights, new everything. And then the pastor was told he had cancer. And the church group went another way and the pastor was left you know, with this building. So he put the word out that the building was available and I think there were five groups that went for it. But whatever it was that he saw in the guy at the back, I'm sure there was plenty of people saying, give me that building. But whatever it was, he must have been a mature pastor because whatever it was he saw in Jason, he thought that's the type of humility that I want to give because he's passing on his life's work, right? I, want, I don't want to bless pride. I want to bless humility. See, to me, Jason has just been exalted by God. Jason has been exalted by God. And you've got to recognize that when it happens. You've got to see it and you've got to honor it, right? We should seek this, actually, because we want God's hand with us, not for any reason, but just to succeed in life, to conquer the world, right? To, but the, the, the road to it is humility and always will be humility. We took a day out this week. I can't remember which one, but we decided just to pray for the entire day. And we just stayed in our living room and committed the coming year to the Lord. And I, I basically came up with three conclusions at the end of that in connection with this message for next year, Jeanette. Number one, Jesus is constantly telling me that my prayers can be hindered, right? I've got to accept that. My prayers can be hindered because I don't respect the protocol or because I'm having bad relationships and I'm exalting myself. I'm a Pharisee. So we've got to stop. I'm going to put this right. I'm going to find out what the blockages are and we will rev up and continue to grow in prayer. That's what we're going to do. So we will be brutally analytical of whether there's pride in me in my relationship with you. Is there pride in me in my relationship with my colleagues? Is there pride in me in relationship with my family? And I'm determined to get those weeds out of my prayer life so that my prayers will not be hindered. Amen? Nice and simple. But I guess the, the second thing we realized was we intend to have a vibrant prayer life in 2013, but that's not going to happen unless we make changes. It's not going to be automatic. It's not going to happen just because I say it, is it? You can't sit there and say, I'm going to have a, a fantastic prayer life next year. It, it just doesn't work that way. It's going to mean that my attitudes have to change. It's going to mean that my critique of myself will have to continue to be brutally honest. And if I do that, and I stick with the protocol of praise and thanksgiving, I believe that the gates of heaven remain open for me. Okay? And if anything is wrong, because my heart is set on getting that right, I believe God would show it to me, like he did with humility this week. So I woke up on Monday morning, and in my spirit was a word. Tell them that they need to enter with humility, understanding and accepting who they are, not for condemnation's sake, not to put yourself down, 
but rather so that you don't exalt yourself. Okay? So just take one moment and ask yourself question number one. How is God in your eyes? Is he a good God? I worked in a mental hospital in a locked ward, and some of those kids had been abused, physically battered. And one of those boys, I remember going into the ward, he was a new guy, his name was Darren. I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he ran over to me, and he took my hand, and this is what he did. Bang, 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 bang. And I thought, what are you doing? And he grabbed my hand again, he started, bang, bang. I thought, what's he doing? And one of the nurses said to me, ah, all he's ever known is abuse. So when he sees you coming near him, he believes you're going to hit him. And so his understanding of the relationship is physical harm. So he's, getting, he's beating you to it. He's getting it your hand and he's hitting himself with it because this is what people do. God, I thought, Lord. And we spent, I spent a long time with that guy. Very, very heartbreaking. But when people come near to God, they expect him to beat them up. That's the religious mindset. We expect a hard time. If I go to church and the pastor doesn't give me a hard time, I haven't been to church. You know what I mean? But God's a good God. So Jesus told a story about a wicked judge. And he's saying, I'm better than that. I'm a good father, a very good father. So get any other concept out of your mind. Number two. So first thing, I'm going to assess my view of God. Secondly, we're going to look at every relationship in our lives. Because Jesus said to me, if my relationships are not good with my wife and with everybody else in my world, my prayers will be hindered. I'm going to get stuck. And then I'm not going to spend time in prayer, right? Because it's going to be dead. The Lord will not be present with me. And if I work on those two things, I believe that in 2013, we can definitely take new ground. Do you agree? Are you willing to make yourself vulnerable to let God talk to you? People can be very prickly. Kahiso, there's something I'm going to say to you. You might not like it. I'm going to tell you the truth about you. You ready? I'm going to do it in front of the whole church because truth has got to come out. Do you know? I like you. I see you didn't think that was coming, did you? <laughs> Are you ready to be brutally honest with yourself? And stand up a minute. I'm going to invite the worship team to take your places. Just close your eyes. I'm going to ask the Lord to bring his light down in this place. Father, we thank you for 2012. It's been a good year. We thank you for every blessing in it. But we want more. We want to advance as a church. We want to advance as families, as homes. And we ask you to pour your grace into us to do this, Lord. And as a starting place, we vindicate you of all wrongdoing. You're a good God. That's what we say. You're a good, good God. And we believe in a good God. We put our faith in a good God. And Lord, we ask you like David did to shine your light into our spirit. Show me who I really am. And I pray every person in this place that not like the Pharisee in self-exaltation, not with delusions, 
but in stark reality, show me who I am. Show me what I need to confess. If relationships with people have pride, then my prayers will be hindered. And God, I reject pride with my family, my extended family. I bless them and I will not exalt myself over them. With my brothers and sisters here in this church, I bless them and I humble myself before them and before you and ask you to forgive me of the pride within me, God. Forgive me. I reject it. I reject it. Help us, God, remove the blockages and enter this year with great faith and a good, good God. I'm just going to give a moment for maybe one or two of you to pray out as we close this year and ask God to shine his light in your home, in your family for the coming year.